lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. It's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash stevedace. Follow us on Twitter at Show at stevedace on Parler. And YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can find clips of this show for free that you can sample yourself and then share with others if you would like. We have a jam-packed Monday here for you. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, our good friend Bob Vanderplatz uh, will be joining us. Uh, Did they successfully pull off, we think anyway, the first political conference in America that was in person since COVID-19. And what were some of the messages there? Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was here in town. He gave the keynote address, I guess we'll call it, or at least the highlight speech. We'll talk about that and more. Next hour, I trust, Todd, that you have lined them up. Uh, And of course, you know the rule, the snottier, the better. Next hour is our Monday town hall. It's our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything edition. I've not seen any of these, but I trust that you have some snotty questions ready to roll out. I picked plenty that half of which we won't get to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with all of that in mind, um, let's begin as we always do. Here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by It's Just Not Safe. Forcing education of students back into a classroom in areas where the infection rate is going up or remaining very high is just plain dangerous. So there it is. The lines are now officially drawn for reopening schools along party lines as Joe Biden made it clear over the weekend he wishes schools to remain shut down. Meanwhile, on MSNBC, they talked to a group of pediatricians about their thoughts on sending kids back to school. I will. My kids are looking forward to it. Yes. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. As much as I can. (laughs) Without a hesitation. Without a hesitation, yes. I have no concerns about sending my child to school in the fall. I would let my kids go back to school. Dr. John Torres, NBC News. They all said yes. The bizarre world of retconning New York's response to the pandemic continued, this time with the help of Dr. Anthony Fauci. We know that when you do it properly, you bring down those cases. We've done it. We've done it in New York. New York got hit worse than any place in the world, and they did it correctly. And New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy added this. But I would just gratuitously say, if 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 you don't like our leadership here, why don't you get out of Georgia and see how that feels? Oxford University. University epidemiologist Carl Hennigan and Tom Jefferson were interviewed recently on a wide variety of topics surrounding COVID-19. One arm of a randomized controlled trial, which was published in 2015, so one one section of the people who took part in, in a study in Southeast Asia wore cloth masks. Okay, and they found that these cloth masks not only didn't work, but actually probably Uh, saliva and secretions and the wetness made them more permeable to uh, incoming agents. 
So what I'm describing really is complete uncertainty. By all means, people can wear masks or not wear masks. Policy can make the decision. But what they can't do is say it's an evidence-based decision. What it looks like is the stability of the virus is far less when the temperature goes up, but particularly humidity seems to be important. The lower the humidity, actually the more stable the virus is in the atmosphere and on surfaces. So when we compare to other countries, what we did see in the Northern Hemisphere, when the conditions were right, rapid spread, transmission and impact on deaths. Many people might say we should have locked down earlier. But actually, as I said, 50% of care homes developed outbreaks during the lockdown period. It's a very blunt tool. What we need to do is have a debate about what are the intelligent mitigation strategies that actually can keep society functioning while we keep those that are the most frail and elderly and the most vulnerable shielded, in effect. I am the survivor of four pandemics, four official pandemics. And uh, for the other three, the preceding three, I didn't even realize they were going on. Nothing changed. Um, Perhaps uh, people died. We as individuals are part of the problem because sensationalism drives people to click on and read the information. So it's a sort of big circle of we create the problem because if we put the worst case scenario out there, we will go and have a look. So if you want a solution, you've got to get people to stop clicking on this sensationalist stuff. But none of the fabric of society was eroded by like it has been. CBS Los Angeles headline, Claremont 13-year-old dies after experiencing COVID-19 symptoms. A few paragraphs into the story, it's revealed the teenager tested negative for COVID. In Louisville, Kentucky. A Hardin County couple is now on home incarceration after one of them tested positive for COVID-19 and decided not to sign documents agreeing to self-quarantine. On Saturday, Elizabeth Lynn Scott of Hardin County got tested for COVID-19 because she was planning to go visit her parents in Michigan. After testing positive but without showing any symptoms, Elizabeth says the health department contacted her requesting she sign documents. Elizabeth chose not to sign. I had gotten a message from them, a text message that stated uh, because of your refusal to sign, this is going to be escalated and law enforcement will be involved. On Thursday, the Hardin County Sheriff's Department greeted Elizabeth's husband, Isaiah, at their front door. Open up the door, there's like eight different people, five different cars. I'm like, what the heck's going on? This guy's in a suit with a mask. It's, it's the health department guy, and they have uh, three papers for us, for me, her, and my daughter. The couple was ordered to wear ankle monitors. If they travel more than 200 feet, law enforcement will be notified. In the race for the White House, President Trump said over the weekend he's only going to be holding teletown halls instead of large in-person campaign rallies because of coronavirus fears. A new Fox News national poll shows respondents think Joe Biden has the mental soundness to serve as president. 47% yes to 39% no. 43% think President Trump has enough mental soundness compared to 51% saying he doesn't. Checking in on Marxist America, Portland, Oregon was turned into a battleground again. It began when federal law enforcement started arresting residual anarchists left over from the last 50 days of rioting in the city and escalated when rioters set the Portland Police Association building on fire. My name is Willis Sinclair. I'm an Afro-Indigenous non-binary local organizer here in Portland, organizing for the abolition of not just the military, 
And finally, comedian Ryan Long strikes again. When me and Brad first met, I didn't think we'd get along, but turns out we kind of agree on everything. Your, Your racial, racial identity is the most important thing. thing. Everything, everything should be looked at through the lens of race. Shanks, you owe me a Coke. Damn. We both have a lot of opinions about people of color, even though we barely know any. I say colored people, but as long as we're classifying them, we both think minorities are a united group who think the same and act the same. And vote the same. You don't want to lose your black card. Sorry, I don't know. I just think we should roll, roll back, back discrimination laws so we can hire based on race again. Jinx, now you owe me a Coke. And that's what happened while we were away. Where to begin after all of that? Uh, I mean, <laughs> Anthony Fauci praising New York. As we sit here today, still one out of every four deaths in America from New York. If New York as a state were its own country, it would have the fifth most deaths in the world, the sixth most cases in the world. It sentenced thousands to die by leading the charge of reinfecting nursing homes with COVID-19 infected. And then it waited until the death rate had substantially declined before it began the daily sanitizing of its mass transit system, which it kept open the entire time during its pandemic. And the nation's leading <coughs> expert on infectious diseases is praising that. The man is beyond the fraud that I detected right away. I knew it right away. Why? Because every time in my career, the, the system has told me, this is the unassailable one every single time. You just do like Gregory Peck did to that Damien kid. Just one night when he's sleeping, just go back and roll his hair back. You'll see the mark there. Every single time the system says, this one is unassailable. That one's always the worst. Every single time. No one is unassailable. No one is. Be very leery and wary of the unassailable one. The one you cannot criticize. The one who is above it all. And contrast that with the way the Bible portrays human nature, where even the greatest leaders in the scriptures. Moses is denied entrance into the promised land because of his human frailty. Peter is told to get behind me, Satan, when he displays his frailty. Paul's frailties were so well known that after his conversion, it took years for the rest of the apostolic community to accept him fully. No, 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 no. Whenever this world system presents you the unassailable one, grab your cross, garlic, and run. Anthony Fauci isn't just a fraud or a fiend, he's a ghoul. What New York did is a crime against humanity. And the nation's leading infectious disease expert praises that over the weekend. What has transpired here? When you really boil it down, is the data, the data is bad. Is it bad on purpose? 
Is it bad on accident? I don't know. I have my suspicions. Aaron played a clip from a video that I have linked on my Facebook page. I would urge you to watch it in its entirety. Oxford is rated the number one university on planet Earth, according to the World University Rankings. Number one in all of creation. And two of its epidemiologists sound an awful lot like the Steve Day Show. Who was it that told you SARS viruses love low humidity environments? Who was it that told you that? This show did months ago. Months ago. I'm not an epidemiologist. I haven't even stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But I know how to do research. We're not really learning anything new. We're just finding out who really wants to learn, if you know what I'm trying to say here. That interview with the Oxford epidemiologist, they just call horse bleep on this whole thing, on the whole thing. The one guy who says, I've lived through four pandemics in my life. This is the first time anyone's ever altered my life because of one. The previous three, it was like I had no idea they were going on. I want to run down for you. These are all things, what I'm about to share with you, because what's going to happen after I give you this rundown is hundreds of you are going to send me emails. Can you send me the link to this, the link to that, the link to this? I don't have like a centralized data bank. If you follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show, if you go to my Facebook page, I would say 95% of the stuff I share with you guys here gets linked there in various capacities. There's so much of it, I can't possibly keep up with it all. You just have to follow on a day-to-day basis if you want to keep up. But because I want to make this as simple as possible to document, everything I'm about to mention to you, I have linked on my Twitter account all of this. In just the last week, okay? So these are all things, gentlemen, that I have linked on my Twitter account in just the last week to show you how this data is manipulated or unreported or turned into panic porn. I want to begin by right before Memorial Day. CDC admitted that it was counting even positive antibody tests as positive cases. Our CDC admitted that. May the 22nd, right before Memorial Day. Where is the verification that that was corrected as we see the (coughs) surge in new cases in America? Do we have any verification that that was corrected? Here's another follow-up question. Where's all that antibody data at then? Well, Steve, weren't you complaining last week that they released a bunch of antibody tests? Those were all dated in late April. I think May 2nd was the most recently dated one. They admitted on May 22nd they were still counting positive antibody tests as positive tests. Where's all of that antibody information? Is the CDC not a national organization? Where is it all? How do we know what the true infection rate is if we don't really know who's all been infected? For example, I have traveled recently to California and Texas. So I went in for my annual physical last week. I had him do an antibody test. It came back negative. Where is all of that antibody information at? On July 12th, (laughs) 
On July 12th in New York, the Department of Health reported that New York State had zero COVID-19 deaths. All right. And you'll see that linked on my Twitter account, ABC News and others congratulating uh, New York for beating back the virus. New York beat back coronavirus the way Iceland beat back Down syndrome by just executing the children who had it. But July 12th, New York's Department of Health reported zero COVID deaths. However, if you go to the COVID tracking website, which is done by The Atlantic, a a far left wing publication. If you go to the COVID tracking website for July 12th, it indicates five New York deaths. The COVID-19 site I like because I know it has the most negative numbers. See, when I do estimates for clients or for you as listeners and viewers, I always give you the worst case numbers. I I really believe in under-promising and over-delivering, right? I go by the worst case. So I've been using worldometer numbers this entire time. It, 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 It probably has the most negative data sample available to us in the general public. On that date, on July 12th, Worldometer reported New York State had 11 COVID-19 deaths. How can COVID tracking and Worldometer know more about who died in New York from coronavirus than the New York Department of Health? Riddle me that. I'm going to give you the answer to that here in a moment. 12 straight weeks now. Deaths have, have declined, according to CDC, in America. They update this every Friday. 12 weeks in a row now, deaths have declined in America, according to our CDC. Well, wait, Steve, I'm seeing that deaths are back up again. 12 straight weeks now, according to CDC, deaths have declined in America. In fact, this past week, we were at 6.4% of all deaths in America were from COVID-19. That is below the CDC's epidemic line of 7.2%. So let me go back to what I just told you happened in New York State. See, what is occurring here is these blue state governors like the the tool in New Jersey. These blue state governors are doing a bunch of retroactive tagging and bagging. Oh, we found out. We found more bodies. We found a few more deaths. We found more. And so they're recording these not on the date of the death itself, but on that date. So COVID tracking. Hey, New York State found five deaths it didn't previously have. It recorded them on July the 12th, irregardless, which isn't really a word. But then again, these aren't real stats and and, and data numbers anyway. So let's roll with it. It recorded these as five deaths for New York State on July the 12th, even though none of these five occurred on that date. I have no idea where the hell Worldometer got 11 deaths. And by the way, you know what I could do? I could just take the COVID tracking numbers, go with the Worldometer numbers, and then give you a screaming panic porn headline, 100% increase in deaths in New York State. I could do that. Actually, it'd be more than 100% because five times five times five or five plus five is 10. If it was 11, it'd actually be more than 100%. 110, 115% increase in deaths in New York State from one day to the next. See, CDC is actually going back and recording dates as the date of death. 
So if New York State finds five dead bodies of COVID-19, it didn't know on July the 12th, but these deaths occurred on April 19th, May 14th, whenever. CDC goes back and retroactively puts them in on the actual date of death itself. So they're not lagging at all. They're actually being way too methodical and taking too much time. So even with that, even with that metric, CDC has recorded 12 weeks in a row, deaths have declined in America, and last week we were below the epidemic line. Have you seen that reported anywhere? You're to find all this linked up on my Twitter account. Just go at Steve Day Show. This is all stuff I've linked in just the last week. The story, Aaron had this in his montage, the story of the child out of Los Angeles dying. This is the CBS affiliate in LA dying with COVID symptoms, this adorable 13-year-old boy. Then you read, and he was actually tested and it was negative. That, that might be the worst panic porn I have seen this entire event. This entire psyop. This, is the, this, is, this may be the, that, that might be the worst I've ever seen. And that's saying something. Andrew Bostom is an epidemiologist from uh, Brown University. That's an Ivy League school last I checked, correct? Correct. Last week, he put out a set of statistics from the Texas Department of Health that he then added on the tweet, the Texas Department of Health logo, to indicate these were their numbers. I shared this tweet. A reporter at the Dallas Morning News saw me share this tweet and starts blowing up my mentions and Andrew Bostom's because, hey, I, I went to the De Texas Department of Health. They didn't put this chart out. And Boston was like, I, I know they didn't. It's their numbers, though. Here's their numbers. Go look at them yourself. But that, that chart's not accurate. Fact check, fact check. They didn't put this out. Well, first of all, why the hell didn't they? Isn't that their job, number one? Number two, it's the actual data. It's from the Texas Department of Health. You know what it showed? But so far this year, Texas has one-third of the flu deaths that it's had from the past two flu cycles. One-third. And it's mid-July. According to CDC, Texas's all-cause excess mortality has only increased by 2% so far this year. Gotta lock Texas back down. Shut everything down. Stop it. Excess mortality so far in Texas up 2%. Florida, your other beloved hotspot. The Florida Hospital Association's actual data shows that it still has about 20% of its were out of ICU beds available. They're out of ICU beds except for the 20% of them that they still have. Other than that, they're all out of them. Hospitals overflowing. Everywhere you go in Florida, you step over bodies except for the 24% of the overall hospital beds still available in the state. Except for that. They're all gone. Except for the 24% that remain, all are gone. In a state, by the way, that has had 150,000 new cases this month. 150,000 new cases this month, still 20% of its ICU beds and 24% of all of its hospital beds are still available. Did you know that? Did you know that the case fatality rate for those under the age of 70 in America is 0.04%. 0.04% of those of you who will have a positive case for coronavirus under the age of 70 will die. By the way, that's less than it is for those populations with the seasonal flu. Did you know that? If you're under 70 in America, better chance you're dying of the seasonal flu than COVID-19. 
Now it's 45. The number previously was 43. The latest data shows that it's now 45% of all American deaths have taken places have taken place in nursing homes where 0.6% of the American population lives. The average age of death in America from COVID-19 is 74 years old. I've been talking about how having sports come back is going to be a truth serum because they're going to test people and need to know what the real numbers are. They cannot afford to fudge these numbers. They can't afford to panic porn them. They can't afford to overlook them either. Sports leagues need to know what their numbers are. They got billions riding on this. Major League Baseball has tested almost 18,000 people this month since it returned to spring training. Its season begins on Thursday. That's players, managers, and staff. Almost 18,000 tests, and the positive test rate has been 0.1%. 0.1. Now, I asked you, ladies and gentlemen, for three months, these players were sent home all over the country. Baseball is a global game all over the world. Venezuela, Mexico, Dominican Republic. These guys all went home for three months. And we're seeing states that are just coming out of lockdown reporting 10, 12% positive test rates. These players came from all over the world, all over the country. They've been tested all month. And the test rate is 0.1% positive? How is that possible? Which numbers do you think are more likely? The league that's got billions of dollars riding on getting it right, or the government that's got trillions of dollars riding on, hey, make sure we uh, code with COVID-19 because of the cash incentive from the feds. Which one do you think is probably more accurate? How about Major League Soccer? Not a single positive test result since they began testing their players. Not one. <sighs> Did you know that after the first SARS, the, the, the George W. Bush administration invested heavily, along with Johns Hopkins and the CDC, in investigating how to mitigate SARS viruses should we get another one? And do you know what they found? Masks don't work. Mass quarantining doesn't work. Social distancing of three feet didn't work. That's one of the reasons why they expanded it to six. Did you know? Did you know any of this? Why hasn't there been a single random sampled control study on the efficacy of masks? Not one. Why? And how come all of the studies they did prior to this pandemic all said they don't work? All of them said this. What changed? But don't take it from me. Listen to the experts, Steve. What about the epidemiologists at the number one rated university in the world, Oxford? They're asking the same questions. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Apparently, independent of one another, we all came to the same conclusion this weekend that every weekend that goes by, the the absolutely surreal nature of digesting this information and just realizing we're, we're in a world gone mad. I mean, literally insane. I, I don't know any other way to put it because as much information as Steve just provided, we've talked about all of this piecemeal for months now. 
There have been people like these epidemiologists at Stanford. They're not hidden. They're not on some fringe website. They are everywhere. And I just came in in the car this morning and there's some flack at some university talking about football getting going and about how the science all says masks must be worn. Every week it gets weirder. We, we are living in an utterly detached reality on any given day, depending on the segment of society you enter into. It's, it's, I was at a soccer camp this weekend for my daughter in Missouri. Like, nothing going on. Come back to a soccer camp this morning with a different daughter, and th- you have to stand 10 feet apart from each other at all times. How are these simultaneously going on in this universe we live in? You have got to not want the truth. You've got to hate the truth at this point for these things to exist simultaneously. And just to wrap that in a bow very briefly and just to channel Todd and what he's been saying over and over again, if you live in a country, in a society, a culture who's willing to even entertain on any level the transgendering of anything, you're going to get and you're going to end up with the hatred of truth in any number of Mm -hmm. matters, pandemics included. Amen to that. Amen to that. Again, what I share with you is just a bunch of stuff I've linked on my Twitter account in the last week. More in a moment. All right, back here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace with Todders and Aaron McIntyre joined by our good friend, Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Good to see you. Doing really well. So over the weekend, you guys decided to take not just yours, uh, but the lives of hundreds upon hundreds of people and maybe, frankly, thousands, uh, given all the asymptomatic spread that they would then go and inflict upon an unsuspecting populace uh, after your event. But nevertheless, um, you've, you, you thought that it was worthy of taking all these lives, these precious lives, because we just can't you know, have one life. Uh, you, you thought it was worthy of taking them all into your hands and risking them by holding a conference uh, to discuss uh, politics, culture, worldview, etc. And I, I think, frankly, we should just lead off with, with how is your conscience? How has it handled the last 48 hours since you've had this event? Knowing what it is that uh, you have helped to, in, uh, to impose and inflict upon the, the people of this fair state and, and maybe all of America. How are you sleeping right now? Well, I'm sleeping really good. Uh, now, obviously, we went in with a lot of prayer uh, that people would come in healthy and that they would leave healthy. And from what we could tell, the 700 guests that showed up, uh, they were thrilled to be back in community. Now, we did follow social distancing guidelines. Uh, not a lot of our guests wore masks. A lot of them wore masks in, but once they got to their tables, they removed their masks. Some kept them on all day. And we were fine with whatever they wanted to do, but we encouraged them, you know, they got to, they're an adult. They get to make their own choices. Uh, but it was a, it was a very blessed event. And Steve, I got to tell you, it just reminded me, Zoom calls are good. You know, I've done a lot of Zoom meetings, Zoom conferences. Heck, I, I spoke at Zoom or conferences via Zoom. Uh, nothing replaces getting together the fellowship that people had with one another. And so many people said that. So I hope and pray that a couple of weeks from now, I'm telling you that 
everything was still good. And I pray that's the case. But uh, we followed all the guidelines. My conscience is feeling really good. So you had people come in from all over the country on this. Sure we did. Uh, We had states of Ohio, Florida, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Maine, Kansas, Indiana, Pennsylvania, uh, Texas. I probably missed California. Uh, and I'm probably missing a few others. I'm not quite Wisconsin that I'm not sure quite, but yeah, we had a lot of people from a lot of different states. And then you had speakers come in from all over the country too, right? I mean, the secretary of state was here. Secretary of state was here. We had Dell Tackett from Colorado Springs. We had Mike Lindell from Minneapolis. We had Jack Brewer who came in, I believe from Dallas, Dallas or Florida. I forget which home he came from. Uh, yeah, we we had a lot of people from a lot Rick of Santorum different spots. Rick Santorum came in. Rick Santorum came he in. He came in from hell because yeah. he's on. He's working for CNN right, right now, right? And, and so. Joe Rosenberg came in. So he came from under the underground. That's where Rick yeah. Santorum came, right? Sure. And Joe Rosenberg came from Israel uh, to be here with us as well. So yeah, we we had a lot of speakers, a lot of different places. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, it was by far our best summit. Yet. Really? From start to finish. And we had a lot of events around it. I mean, it started already on Wednesday with events that went all the way through Saturday, late afternoon. Uh, the summit was all day Friday. Uh, we had a special dinner Friday evening with the secretary. Secretary Pompeo showed up with some of our special guests. Uh, I did a half hour interview with him. It was it was really good. I mean, everything was just good. It was blessed. It was favored. And so I believe we're going to be good 10 days from now as well. So anybody listening around the country wondering, hey, can we pull this off? Or 700 sounds like, you know, about what we think we can get into a church service uh, with social distancing or less or more, but, you know, a a decent sized crowd. And they're hesitant about going down this road. What would you say to them based on your own expertise of what you guys went through for the past few days? Well, well, right now I'd say... um you know, I, we, we were wise. We weren't panicked. Uh, we followed the guidelines. Now, it's easy because we had the White House giving us cover because of Secretary Pompeo's visit. You had Governor Reynolds giving us cover because of her speech at it. You had Hy-Vee Corporate. It was at their venue, their Ron Pearson Center, giving us cover. So people weren't being we were not being reckless. We were being adults, mm-hmm. but we were still able to get together. And so. Yeah, I mean, and this was an indoor event. This was not an outdoor event. Mm-hmm. I know Hillsdale College held their graduation ceremony on Saturday. Uh, that was outdoors. Chairs are all six feet apart. It, it was 97 degrees in the shade outdoors in Iowa on Friday. Yeah. You couldn't have, you, you would have endangered more people trying to do an event outdoors. Oh, frankly, w- without without question. Yeah. And so, um, no, I, and again, we just feel really, really good. So I would say, use the same, I mean, be prudent, be diligent, be wise. Uh, but it's okay to get people back together too. You mentioned it was the it was maybe the best one you guys have had yet. What, are, what were some of the big fundamental takeaways? Well, I think one is, and this was, we just had a team meeting that I came from, and one of the takeaways was we really felt we had the ability to communicate our ministry's message well and effectively about what does it mean to inspire the church? What does it mean to engage government? What does it mean to be about the advancement of God's kingdom? What does it mean to be about cultural renewal, cultural revival, those types of things? But we had Dal Tackett, Steve, who you know very well from the Mm -hmm. Truth Project. He now has his new one out called the Engagement Project and really talking about the need to engage your neighbor and love your neighbors yourself. It was powerful. Jack Brewer, uh, former player for the Minnesota Vikings, 
uh, came out, talked about racial reconciliation, really called on the church and called out, do you realize how many of these kids are fatherless? They're, they're not fathers engaged in their lives. I mean, they have either left the family, or if they're with the family, they're not involved with the family. But we need to, as a body of Christ, to step in. So he wasn't, you know, he would be, all lives matter. But part of that is, is loving your neighbor yourself and to step in when there are fatherless children to help step in. It was a powerful message, and people can go to our website, thefamilyleader.com, and there's a link up there that you can view all of these messages. Mike Lindell from MyPillow, I interviewed him on his story, his book, his passion to set the addicted free through the power of the gospel, which was his, real. His story is insane. It's if, an amazing. If 35% of it's true, it's insane. And I believe every piece of it's true. The neat thing, when we left that interview, we broke for lunch. And I went back in the hallway and there was a security guard back there because of obviously we had Pompeo coming in, guy just sobbing and just was so moved by Mike Lindell's testimony and message. And this guy's a believer in Jesus Christ, just so moved by it. I had people, venue staff members coming up to me, just how impacted they were by the day. We had police officers there thanking our staff for the message that we were relating and how this will make a difference in a culture. Uh, it's light. It's not darkness. It's not rioting. It's compelling people. There's a, there's a better way here. And so we had Joel Rosenberg talking about uh, Israel uh, and about his latest book um, that, that he was talking about. Uh, it was uh, we had Governor Reynolds. We had Senator Ernst. Uh, it, it was just a powerful day. I don't know how else to say. And all the messages seem to be unique but they built on one another. I noticed you haven't said much about people talked a lot about the election. Did they just not talk about it or was there another focus? Uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was, it was basically, as you guys have heard me say probably too often on this show, but I say it a lot is think bigger, look higher. And that's where they kept their remarks. Think bigger, look higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The elections are a part of it, but there wasn't a huge like rally cry, like 2020, we got a winner. All is lost. It wasn't that at all. Matter of fact, I think in our team meeting, one of our team members said, I bet President Trump's name. Now, think about it. this is at a conference in an election year, just months away from November 3, 2020. He goes, I bet President Trump's name wasn't mentioned more than a half a dozen times, including the Secretary of State's message. And so it wasn't, fo that was not, the fo it was not to say we're against Donald Trump. That wasn't the focus of it. It was think bigger, look higher. Mike Pompeo. So why would the Secretary of State come and speak in Iowa? Well, it's pretty obvious why, right? He's interested in running for president, I would guess, at some point in the near future, correct? Well, that's, I that's mean, why the, you would do the, it. There'd be right? a lot of assumptions that way. Now, he and I have never talked about that and about uh, what's your plans for 2024. You think about running. But I will say this. Uh, in his remarks, uh, he came off very, I'm just a common guy. I'm from Kansas. And we've seen this before, right? We put our hope into a guy and all. Then interviewing him at the World Food Prize headquarters at our private dinner with donors with him, uh, he does not give off an air that I'm all that. Pretty much, I've been given an opportunity. I need to steward my, my time and steward it well. Um, I loved how he ended his interview. Uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, obviously you've got a job to do. 
You've talked about stewarding this job. Said everybody here has got to put, one of the most powerful jobs in the United States, and in, in which, by extension, Maybe the, the world. world. Yeah. And then what is that a lot of these people have impact and influence in their own communities. What would you ask them to do? And he said, well, obviously, he goes, we always start out with prayer, right? He goes, so pray. And he goes, I mean, really pray. And he, then he said, he goes, but be fearless. He goes, you cannot have a spirit of timidity. You need to be fearless. If you really believe what you believe to be real, you have to have a boldness and a courage to go about it. And he goes, and that means even engaging in difficult conversations when you think, you know what, I might offend somebody. Maybe it's okay that they get offended because what you're speaking about comes from a solid foundation of truth, not from how do I feel today? So what were your big takeaways coming out of that about where things are in our country and where you think they're headed? But first of all, I think and I'm just going to give you some responses from some audience members. They left inspired. They left like there's hope. Uh, they left, which is a common takeaway from a leadership summit, that they're not alone. A lot of times attendees kind of feel like, you know, I'm the only one who thinks this way in my community. I'm the only one who thinks this way out there. Also, they're looking around, they're going, holy cow, there's a lot of people who think my way. Uh, there's a lot of donors who are being encouraged by one another by going, you know what? I'm not the only one donating to a ministry like this. There's a lot of others who are donating to a ministry like this. So I think there's hope, there's inspiration, but at the same time, that we're probably going through a refiner's fire. That means that we, we would be negligent to say, well, you know, things are just, they're just rosy. Things are just, you know, no, 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 we're going through, this could be a refining fire, but it could either be the church's final hour or it could be the church's finest hour. Hmm. And we think it'd be the church's finest hour. Let's talk some contemporary news in the time we have left. Uh, Trump just announced that tomorrow at uh, 5 Eastern, they will be resuming the coronavirus briefings. In my opinion, um, unless this is to go and use the bully pulpit to get out an alternative to the panic porn with the, with the actual with the actual data shows that after four months of this, the CFR for people under the age of 70 in America is 0.04%, less than it would be for the seasonal flu. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, to wage war on reopening schools because, you know, Joe Biden made it official over the weekend. I've been telling our audience this for the last week, but Joe Biden made it official over the weekend. Democrats are running on a team lockdown narrative. That's their campaign narrative for this fall. Until he gets elected. Until he gets elected. The teacher unions are the Biden campaign and this and reopening schools is really the proxy for the actual election itself. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to use this as the bully pulpit to truly go on offense here, then I'm all for it. But if it's for any reason at all, other than that, then, I mean, this is just like, you're not even trying to win the election. I, I don't think there's any in between either. I, I think that either this is all going on offense or this is Mike Pence reminding us how many damn ventilators we have. Like it's March uh, 15th. What are your thoughts? Well, there needs to be a clarity of message. There's no doubt about that. And I, I think the clarity of message is just like what we did with our leadership. We're going to be wise. We can be wise. It's okay to be wise saying, okay, there's a virus and we want to protect the most vulnerable and those types of things. But also, what is the real data? And can you breathe confidence in the American people that we can get through this together? But it's not about locking down and scaring people into their homes forever. 
That's that's never been that was never the reason for the shutdown in the first place. The reason for the shutdown in the first place was we're going to over overwhelm our healthcare system. And what you and I have talked about before, a lot of our healthcare care workers have been furloughed. They've been laid off because there's not enough to do. Um, let's be wise, but let's don't be panicked. And let's be clear, and I think you're right, Steve, let's show there's a, 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 a big difference between what Biden is, is recommending and what I'm recommending. But I don't think this needs to be a daily press briefing. Um, I, I don't know what, what, that would, what that would accomplish. I don't know how often he plans on doing this. If he's going to lead it again or if it's going to be Pence leading it, is Fauci going to be on stage? Is Fauci not going to be on stage? How Burke's do you put be Fauci on stage? On stage? How, did, how is he employed? After crediting New York as a model of what to do when when New York is a crime against humanity, what they did. I I have no idea, but I guess that's that's what that's ghoulish. We're even beyond disagreement on policy. I mean, that that's just evil. I I hate to use that word. Maybe I need to use it more often, but you're you're crediting what they did there was a crime against humanity is what they did. And so it is those where, where people say, you know, I've lost my, my hope or faith in institutions. Well, the reason you lose your hope and faith in institutions is when you get told one thing one day and a different thing another day. Yeah. And the facts keep moving. The bar keeps changing. Think, this should be science. This should be stuff that, you know, we shouldn't be making political or arguing about. It should be real data with real decisions. But that's for people like, who do I believe anymore? That may be why he's trying to do the the press briefings well, I, again. I, that's why I don't want to completely say it's a terrible idea because the number one problem we have is the is is the data we are getting is bad and yeah. inconsistent, and we need the bully pulpit of the White House more than anything else because it's the largest platform in America. I want to believe that's what they're going to do with this. I'm but Steve, even, even when you talk about the data. Yesterday, when I when I read the New York Times, I saw the number of infected people and the number that died. And I did the simple math, number of died divided by number of infected people. And it's less, as you said, than 0.04%. It's like 0.37, 0.037. Right. Well, if you do the math and you share that with people, people can come up to their own conclusions. Right. And if you show comparisons to the seasonal flu and to other viruses that, mm-hmm. we, that we encounter, if he uses his bully pulpit... To say, America, let me level with you. This is where things are at. This is what I recommend that we do. This is what I think we should do. Uh, I think you saw, Steve, over the weekend, governor of the state of Iowa, Governor Reynolds, she issued an executive order. Schools are reopening in Iowa. Yeah. It's an executive order. She's taking the decision away from local school districts, yeah. at least at 50% capacity. Yeah. I saw that. She's got a lot more balls than I ever thought she'd have. Governor Reynolds was, I gave her is the- she the. Is she the only politician I've ever warned you about that I've been dead wrong about? <laughs> I'm like, like, unfortunately, yeah. right about like all the others. Well, but I, I was dead wrong about her. But the thing is, we didn't have a lot to really know her about. But the thing is, just so you know, Governor Reynolds, for the second straight year, I gave her the President's Wilberforce Award for her leadership. Good stuff, Bob. God bless. Hour two, coming your way. Our, our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything is next. Stay tuned. With Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre and all of you at 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. D-E-A-C-E. That's how you spell the last name. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Parlor. Follow me there at Steve Dace.
And YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can go and get free samples of this show to watch and then share with others if you would like. If you're a podcast listener, thank you very much. If you have yet to do so, please hit that subscribe button and definitely leave us a five-star review. We have thousands of you have done this for us already. The more of those we get, the more it helps the show to grow. Thank all of you that have left us one of those five-star reviews for the program. Maybe you can leave another one. I don't know if those count, but let's, let's find out together. Before we get into um, our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything, brought to you by Brickhouse Nutrition. Hey, if we learned anything at all during coronavirus, it is to take responsibility for our health as much as we can. You never know when another panic scan may not allow you to go to the doctor for four months, right? And that's where you can uh, put better stuff into your system, uh, like a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables that boost energy, support healthy immune systems, not to mention a, a diet that is rich in fruits and vegetables, can reduce your risk of heart disease, hypertension, and a whole host of other issues. And that's what you get with Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition, just one scoop in a glass of any water-based drink, stir it in and you are done. And right now, you can save 15% off of your first order with the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. 15% off your first order with the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. And then if you like it and decide, hey, let's have this come to the house every month, they'll take 10% off of that for you too. So if you want to get those two discounts, promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. We mentioned right before the end of the last hour, White House has announced the coronavirus briefings are coming back. I know, I know every time I think preemptively on the optimistic tip or think, hey, I, I think they've gotten this one. I think they figured it out. I, I know every time, man, my you know what gets lopped off. I know, I know, every time. But I have to believe, guys. I mean, this is on the heels of the president going on national television yesterday saying, hey, we're defunding schools that won't reopen. They just fired their campaign manager. And and I don't I, never, I don't know a thing about Brad Parscale. I don't know anything about the new guy they just hired. Don't know any of these people. Okay? But they're making moves, right? They're doing something. I have to believe. I have to. And maybe this is just my own mental well-being needs to believe this. But I have to believe the main intention of this doesn't mean we won't get any of that glorious, dulcet-toned Mike Pence ventilator talk that gets you so hot and bothered, Aaron. Okay? All right? But I have to believe the main thrust of this is to finally... Go on offense with the data and the power of the bully pulpit. I just had somebody email me a study from a college in their own backyard, Wake Forest. And like, what do we, how do we get this information out there? And I just emailed to this person right before we went on the air. We really need the White House and the power of the bully pulpit here. That's the, that's the largest media platform in the world. We need it badly. And then Trump makes this announcement. I, you know what? I'm not calling it optimism. Self-evidentism. It has to be. You cannot be a salient human being with an IQ above 72 
which I believe is somewhere around the moron stage, and not recognize that there is no point to holding these unless you plan on challenging the fake news media narrative. That, that doing this for any reason other than to go on offense and with schools being the line in the sand, the battleground. Doing it for any reason other than that. It's not even political suicide, man. It's just... It's dumb, man. Like, you didn't even mean to kill yourself. You just walked off the roof of that building because you weren't paying attention. I have to believe this is why these are relaunching tomorrow. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Quickly. You'll know when you see Fauci on that stage or not. Because there's no way he can be up on that stage and have him do what you're saying. If we don't get a new IHME model and at least four mentions of how many excess ventilators we have and how many countries we're sending them to, I want my money back. You're killing me, Smalls. (laughs) All right? You're killing me. Okay? I was very optimistic. I got retweeted on Friday by Otter, who clearly has had enough. He is not going to stand by and allow us to insult the character of the United States of America. That's why he's retweeting me now. All right. And I have to, I, I have to believe that they are finally going to wage a war on this. Well, that, and it's not, you're not telling me no. I'm taking no, that no, as no, a maybe, well, after, as a solid maybe. There is just a cache of ammunition. I know. Yes. I mean, it could be 4th of July if he wants it to be. It's, but it's him. So, no idea. I mean, you've got Cuomo tr- calling him out, blaming, making it look like he did great and Trump has sucked, right? I mean, every 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 ego brush we usually need to motivate this guy. Almost every. I mean, Fauci hasn't insulted him on Twitter yet. If, listen, you guys ask me sometimes, what can you pray for? Pray Anthony Fauci insults Donald Trump directly on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Pray for that. Pray for that. Okay. Because that, that, that does seem to be the, the cross this line and your ass is mine in, 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 in Trump's ecosystem. Pray Anthony Fauci directly insults him on Twitter or has at some point in the past and it will be revealed soon. Pray for that. And I'm dead serious, by the way. It's not even a joke. I'm dead serious. You can pray for that. Um, but I, I, I just have to, if you do the math, man, you keep saying it out loud over and over again, as if hoping the power of God breathes forth and it just becomes a reality. I know, but just keep it, keep it on a shelf. Okay. Elf on the shelf. Just because yeah. <laughs> I could see, I could see the look on your face. When Aaron first provided you this information, I, I'm going to tell you if it, if I suddenly resign on Wednesday, you're going to know why. Yeah, I mean if, if they, just, they a, have to. It, there's they no have way to. if if Trump does not seriously reframe this, and that means Fauci stage left, new experts. I, this is undeniably one of the greatest acts, if not the greatest act of political and cultural malfeasance in the history 
of not just it's American history. It's it self-immolation. Yes, it is. It's I what mean, it is. You're going to just know if he... Jimmy Carter was like trying to do stuff yeah. and just couldn't. That's right. Like tried to rescue yes. the Iranian hostage. He like tried to do things, just sucked at everything. He tried, right? Yes. If you want to win, you, you, you're going to know. We're just going to know. And everybody else, do I vote for him? Do I not vote for him? Should I consider it even anymore? You're going to know. Maybe he's going to do you a favor. Maybe everybody will just, ah, man, I was maybe like 15%. It's kind of bugging me. I, you'll know. All right. Let's get to it. It's our Monday town hall. Let, let, let's not belabor the point because I'm going to lose my buzz. All right. Uh, it's our Monday town hall and it's our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything edition. Todd has... Well, I don't know if he carefully selected or just chose the first 10 off the top so he didn't have to read all 300 comments no, or whatever no, we had. No. Right, you, you did, you did. I go through. He did a random sample controlled study and Aaron, was it peer reviewed? Do you know? Uh, um, no, I, I can confirm that uh, Todd actually puts more effort into his job than I do. It wouldn't take much. It would not take it's much. True. Yeah. yeah, that's true. By the way, that's another study out of Oxford. That's up for peer review right now that herd immunity threshold. Is 10 to 20%. 10 to 20% uh, for SARS-2 coronavirus. I know. I know. So, if if they don't go on offense Tuesday, I'm either I'm either uh, in a cell next to Ghislaine Maxwell, or on the Homeland Security watch list as potentially making threats. Okay, I mean they they better they better go on offense, and I better not be alone thinking that. By the way, know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. I better not be alone. All right, let's get to it. Aaron, you've got the questions, right? Yep. Uh, okay. We'll start with Mark Bongard, who says, I'm curious about the process you go through when you write a book. For example, how do you pick a topic? How do you conduct your research? And how do you physically write it? Pen and paper, typewriter, computer, or a combination? Um, well, that's, I've never been asked that before. Can you believe that? Uh, that's why I put it on there. Yeah, I have never been asked that question. So I don't have like a ready-made answer. I'll have to do some recollection. Um, when I when I wrote Rules for Patriots, um, the intent of that was um, to to use the influence I have in the Iowa caucuses because even though that book came out, I think it was in 2014, we were already in the midst of a. You know, we, we, you guys get the get the caucus cycle about a year before it happens. I get it about a year and a half before it does. There's like the ramp up before the ramp up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we were in the middle of the ramp up for the ramp up. And that's how we got, you know, Newt Gingrich and Donald Trump and all these people to endorse the book because they all wanted to get my attention, frankly. Um, and what I wanted to do was, was create. Um, we were going into the second Tea Party cycle. And... This was kind of my attempt at a last ditch effort to reform the Republican Party internally from the right. And and so I wanted to write kind of a compilation of everything that I had written and said on the show. And so a lot of that book is from the previous few years of what I had already written. Uh, for various you know publications from Business Insider to Politico to Town Hall. Uh, Etc. Um, and then with more updated information, I don't, I don't, I don't do outlines. 
uh, except for when a book is done and I have to come up with uh, an outline to give my agent to sell to publishers. Um, I, I don't have notes. I just, you know, fact check things as I go along. And you know this working with me for the last five years. Right. It's off the top of my head, man. It's just stream of consciousness off the top of the head. Whereas when Steve writes, like my role for him, you'd think would be like the data person but it's I have I honest to God I have almost nothing to do with the data in uh, if not in a book but even on the show it, th- this is his ability to recall stuff or know instantly where he saw it it, it requires no help I mean he's he's just it, it, it's an ability for he, him to write that way and then write the kind of book he'll, uh, with uh, Nefarious and things like that. That's rarely combined in any author. No, you're actually my grammar teacher. I've got, he, 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 he you will edit my grammar, my syntax. Does this actually make sense? Is it defensible? Stuff like that. I, Todd, I, Todd edits really good. Yeah, he does. Uh, for, for a Nefarious plot, um, the idea for that book was nowhere on my radar whatsoever. I was in Washington, Washington, D.C., in a hotel room um, right across the street from uh, the Capitol. I can't remember what it was called or the Capitol Circle there, whatever that's called there. I can't remember the name of the hotel, though. And I was uh, in the shower uh, getting ready to go do the Mark Levin show to promote Rules for Patriots. And out of nowhere, in the shower, uh, this sentence came to me. This book is dedicated to all the useful idiots out there, especially those of you who had no idea that you were being used all along for for you proved to be the most useful idiots of them all. Lord Nefarious. That that just popped into my head out of nowhere in the shower in a hotel in Washington, D.C. And after I did Mark's show, I uh, went to dinner Um Ashley went to dinner with Jason Johnson, Chip Roy, and John Drogan that night at a pub, an Irish pub in Washington, D.C. They were with Ted Cruz's senior Senate staff at the time, and they were discussing whether or not he was going to go from freshman senator running for president. And like I do with all kinds of candidates and their staff and people, they want to meet and know what the environment is and what I think their prospects are, et cetera. After that dinner, went back to my hotel and um, still had that line stuck in my craw and uh, just wrote the introduction to the book, which ended up being about 95% of the introduction that is in the book right now, was written that night. And um, I called a pastor friend of mine back in Iowa, read it to him. He says, but this sounds a lot like the screw tape letters. And I realized that, yeah, this was kind of gonna, this was going to be like an homage to the screw tape letters, but let's take it next level. Instead of just talking about individuals, let's do an entire culture of what it, you know what it looks like from the uh, the from the in, from the upside down uh, when when hell wants to take an entire culture down. And again, I didn't have an outline or anything whatsoever. Um, I just in my mind's eye, I had a picture of who I thought nefarious as a caricature could be because I didn't want him to be a caricature of me. Um, and so I created a, a an amalgamation of Heath Ledger's Joker and J.R. Ewing of Dallas because I figured that he had to be initially likable in order to... some kind of a, a, a nihilistic anti-hero. But if you... 
if you totally dismissed him right away, then there would be no temptation to be drawn in and you wouldn't finish the book, right? Um, and what did I do next? Truth bombs. I decided to write truth bombs, as I said at the time when it came out. I did not know if my contract here was going to be renewed. We were in a lot of uncertainty in conservative media. No one really knew in media in general. And I always thought, hey, if this was going to be my last run around the track and I was going to do something else for a living, I wanted to know that I kind of fired every bullet I had in the chamber. You know, I, I left behind something to warn people to not make the same mistakes I made. And that's where truth bombs came out. I did write... Uh, down what I wanted those truth bombs to be. But then from there, I just wrote the rest of the book off the top of my head and made sure that, you know, we had our footnotes and everything accurately done. And then I wasn't planning on doing another book. Well, actually, last year I had discussed doing something uh, on a spiritual level. We had discussed that, doing like a straight apolitical worldview kind of a book because of how popular Theology Thursday and stuff was becoming on the program. So we had discussed doing something along those lines. I went over some of it with my agent last winter, and I, we, we just couldn't figure out, though, what the... What the what the main gist of it was, right? What was like the that that kind of made it all come together? Because one thing Todd will also tell you is, I need the way I work. I work very linear. I have to start at the beginning and end at the end. Okay. If I don't know what the beginning is and how something will end, then I I can't figure I can't figure out the middle. That's just the way my mind works. Okay. And so I couldn't figure out like what, what the ending point was. And my agent and I talked about it on a couple of calls and couldn't figure it out. So I got shelved. Actually, no, it was just this past winter we had that conversation. And then a couple of months later, uh, April 21st, I woke up at 5 a.m. with the entire outline for uh, a nefarious carol uh, all in my head. Woke up. First thing I did in that morning was write it all down in an email and send it off to my agent to see what he thought about it being a takeoff of A Christmas Carol and everything else. And and then I just spent the next few weeks writing it. And that's the process. And I always put everything on, you know, I use everything on a computer. Am I missing something else? No, but don't you know, process there. He just, I mean, I'm not there when he's doing it, but that's his linear thing once he's on that track it's just i don't know that there's anybody who can write at the clip that he can write at uh and have it be right out of the gate at the quality that it is it's just it's it's amazing to behold i I appreciate you saying that and that's another sign that last month's paycheck did clear so it's this, true. Th- there's, th- that improves your odds of this. Th- the next one here in a couple of weeks will as well. But if, there is, here's what I'll say. If I know what the beginning and end is, the rest of it will come together fast. I have to be really sold, though, on the beginning and the end. Okay? If I don't think the beginning... If the beginning doesn't get my attention right away and the end doesn't, you know, captivate me, then I don't think you'll care. And then I can't get to anything in the middle. Like, I, you know... Like, I don't know. I, I think I would love script writing for movies but I don't know that I could like make a movie as a director even if I knew how to you know the craftsmanship part of it if I could obtain the skills that you know how you actually do it because so many movies are shot out of sequence Mm -hmm. it would just it would irritate me okay (laughs) it's got to be in order all right like I would be like hey we're only going to shoot this movie if we're actually shooting it in scene sequential order (laughs) okay and and because that's how I have to 
I have to convey things. I've got to know where it starts and where it's going. Once I know that, once I know what the Genesis and the Revelation are, then I can fill everything else in pretty quickly from that point. But it's coming up with those things that's always the challenge. Moving on, next up is Chris Just who asks, are there any good resources you'd recommend to lead my elementary school-aged kids through a Bible study? My entire family is saved and we're weekly churchgoers, but we've never purposely gone through the Bible cover to cover and study. The time seems urgent to do so. I think, Chris, I would... (sighs) Kids are random. Okay, and when Anna was little, just look at our three kids. When Anna was little, because she's a lot like me, we could just sit right down with her in her homeschooling and go right through a normal Bible study just adjusted for age, but just right out of the canon, and she was fine with it. Okay, I mean, and, and you know, we would, you know, there'd be the pictures to color sometimes and everything too, but she was actually bored by a lot of the Sunday school at church when she was a kid because it wasn't challenging enough. It was boring to her. Zoe is more um, into the colors. Uh, you know, I mean, Anna works at a clothing store. She's, store. she's, I mean, she's a chick. But Zoe's more of your classically feminine girl. So the more the more artsy it was, the more crafty it was, the more um, she resonated with the source material. We couldn't figure out wh- what Noah resonated with until we actually found what was called the Brick Bible, which is the Bible told like a graphic novel in Lego form, like a Lego comic or a Lego story. Okay, I mean, then, then dude went to bed like every night for months with that thing. Okay, I, I just think. And then I'll tell you this too, though, now that they're teenagers. Um, I've mentioned this before. Anna has the, has a tremendous grip on the source material, but is now sort of in a passive aggressive state of rebellion where she's very respectful and we, and we have a great relationship, but she's still trying to figure out kind of, you know, her own identity and her own, um, you know, belief system and place in the world. Zoe's very active in the church. And when she was younger, I would have said she'd be the least likely to be very active, but she serves every chance she gets. She goes to every event she can go to. Um, and Noah goes to a, a, a Christian school and there's times that I think he's not paying attention at all. And then we'll have a conversation and he sounds like, you know, uh, a, 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 you know, a junior theologian. So I, there's not they're they're people they're human beings there's not a foolproof formula there's not and i think for our household i i i I probably i wonder sometimes if i took more of a hand-off approach than i should have because i was always afraid because i grew up pagan and so I always knew that the kids whose parents were the most religious and the most in tune always had the best parties. Those chicks were always the most good to go. So knowing that and my knowledge as a pagan growing up like that, I was always afraid that because of the domineering aspect of my personality, that if I put my thumb on the scale too much, they'd rebel completely against that and that I really needed to give them more independence because not just my personality but everything their dad does is about this all of the time they like can't ever get away from it right and 
I may turn out to be wrong about that. We'll find out in the coming years. Who knows? You know, I don't know. So I, I would be first interested in your position and what, how do each of my individual children engage? I'd figured that out first before I looked for a template or a boilerplate. How do they engage? I don't know, Aaron, as a homeschool kid your whole life, what do you think? I think that's probably the best ticket because there's no there's no one size fits all type of thing. Now, if you if you're really dead set on doing this, then it, it's incumbent upon you then to put in the work and not let the guide or the resource uh, do do the work for you. And what I mean by that is by okay, uh, we're going to look at this particular passage of scripture, or we're going going to read through this today and uh, get a good or a couple of good study Bibles, read through it beforehand understand what it's talking about and then think of ways that you can relate that to to your children i'm not a parent so i i'm i'm a 20 something and with no kids no, but so, you're on the other side but of i'm the on the other side of the looking glass yeah. so on the other side of that you know along those lines of tailoring it to your specific kids that's probably going to be the best way that you can do that if you're dead set on on you know absolutely going through as a family um which more power to you. And I only bring up the homeschooling angle because the reason we did it was to make faith a biblical worldview the the centerpiece of how our kids were educated. I mean, you have any thoughts on this? I just think you need to pick out the great stories and just first have them read it easy mark is the shortest but it's also the one that reads it's just kind of like an action story there's there's the the theology is simple it's not elongated like it is uh in certainly in matthew uh definitely in john and and uh somewhat in in luke and then just pick out you know don't sit down read exodus no there's certain parts you should read in Exodus first that are the action stories and get get it's amazing the bible seems like this distance thing thing that is just and catholics have this running joke about it all the time but it's that it's unapproachable well it doesn't take that long to find out it's more than approachable and quite frankly the truth of it just jumps off the pages but you don't just say okay we're going to read isaiah today no there's you need to be targeted in which like just just the first six chapters of isaiah in this day and age in this climate blow your mind you don't need to read that's a bible study all year long just those six chapters I think we can get one more in before the break. Uh, This next one is from A.D. Allen, who says, Serious question, not a gotcha, because there are shows, channels, products I love, but I'm sick and tired of supporting peoples and companies who openly hate me and everything I believe in. Will you stop watching the NFL when or if it returns? Why and why not? So I get this question a lot. I think we got it the last time, too. But if if I ended everything that disagrees with me, what would I do? I'd be a hermit. Um, now, that doesn't mean there's never a cause to do that. Like, um, I've I've been to Chick-fil-A one time in 2020. That was like, that would have been unthinkable to me until recently. And it's just because, you know, in the end, if you're... Now, it's different with them because they're supposedly for me and then they're working against me, right? So... I, I think that the answer could could the NFL push me to that point? Sure. Has it pushed me to that point? No. And if it's pushed you to that point, cool. But we, I think we better have a standard more than if you're working against me. I'm not. I mean, if you where's your bank donate? 
I mean, our grocery store has had literally grocery stores literally have a sign at every store. Yeah. Begging Black Lives Matter. Please don't burn us down and loot us. I mean, that's basically what the sign is, right? Yep. Okay. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I don't know how we can possibly keep this standard unless we formed our own country and did a national divorce, which, by the way, I'm not entirely opposed to. But I don't I don't know how we can keep this standard. I do think at times examples need to be made out of people. I do. I agree with that. But I think it's impossible in in the era in which we live to live completely without engaging or um, uh, enriching those who are opposed to what you believe. You mentioned national divorce. That is the topic of the next question when we come back. All right. We'll get to that here in a moment as we continue with our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything at our Monday Town Hall right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. here on the Steve Day Show. You know why we have to take so many supplements these days? It's because a lot of our foods have been stripped of the good stuff, the prebiotics, the probiotics, the omega oils, the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, all the good things we need stripped out so that the food can last on the shelves for so much longer and be made cheaper and sold for cheaper too. If you leave that stuff in there, it spoils a lot faster. And so we have to make up for it on the back end by buying supplements. The same thing, unfortunately, has happened with our pet's food as well, and that's where Rough Greens comes in. It isn't a dog food, but it's a supplement that you put on your dog's food, and it's jam-packed with all those good things that I just mentioned to promote a happy and healthier lifestyle. And your dog's going to love the way it tastes, at least my dog does. Our dog, Cap, absolutely loves this stuff, all right? So his food can sit pretty much all day, and he won't eat it. Like he's just waiting for us to put the rough grains on. (laughs) All right, then once we do, it is gone. So if you want to see if the same thing happens with your dog, you want to jumpstart their health for just a couple of weeks to try it, see if it works for you. Just $14.95 for the jumpstart bag today for just 14 days or less to see your dog thrive again when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze let's continue with our weekly town hall and the monthly facebook ask me anything edition all right leonard joiner is up next to ask do people really understand what a national divorce would entail if they do is anyone on the right actually willing to partake or would most rather surrender to the left in order to avoid those consequences are are i've never been through a divorce first person. I have been through it secondhand as a kid. Um, I was grown and out of the home though. So it didn't quite have the same impact as it would when that's not the case. But from what I can gather from knowing so many who have, it is seldom a seamless process. I think in the state of Iowa, you can you can do a no contest online divorce where both sides can agree on their own what the terms will be. Uh, if there's going to be any child support, any alimony, you guys can just all agree on that and file it yourselves and sign off on it. And the state, I think, gives you a period of time. I don't know if it's 90 days, 30 days, six months, but some some period of cooling off time. Just are you sure you want to do this? And um, 
and you can do it that way. But I, I would imagine that the amount of people who can do it that way compared to the amount of people who can't is, is not very high. Otherwise, when I Google Iowa divorce lawyers, there wouldn't be so many of them, right? I mean, if, if, if most people could do this amicably, where you live in intimacy, the ultimate intimacy with somebody else, you share a life with somebody else. They hear you pass gas. They see you throw up. They smell you without a shower. They see you lose your temper, right? Uh, all the things that we typically try to hide from those around us or our TMI if, when we try to share. The other person sees. They see you naked regularly. All those other things. And... And you come to the conclusion that despite that level of intimacy, this cannot work for whatever reason. I would imagine the ratio of those who then can separate peaceably from that level of intimacy into a separation that's permanent and agree on what the terms of, of what I'm going to give up, what you're going to give up in this life we have built together. The amount of people who can do that peaceably without getting the courts involved and the lawyers involved. There's nowhere near the amount of people who can't because it's really hard to break away from that level of intimacy and not go from one extreme to the other. That's just human nature, right? And I think that applies here to a, a national divorce. And I'm... I think you have to understand, too that the real evangelicals here are the leftists. They're far more interested in taking their beliefs and going on offense with them to impose them or convince you of their trueness than the average Christian evangelical in America is, for better or for worse. So... The same impulse that had them take over all the schools, all the editorial boards, much of the boardrooms in corporate America, every news outlet practically, would they suddenly say, you know what, you're right, this thing can't work and we should separate. Go live and let live within your own borders. That's the same impulse and spirit of the age that says Ireland can't be the last country left in the West that doesn't allow abortion. So we have to change that. I don't know. But my guess is no. <laughs> no is the answer. Um, if you're already picking a fight with all the people that have the guns already, then I think you view yourself as a crusader on the right side of history and just cannot abide that someone would choose to live around you, even in a separate nation, by a different ethos than you. And you're going to seek by your own instinct to try to challenge that. Um, that's why it'll be a very, it would be a very messy process some form of 
I think, uh, actual civil war it would entail. That's what most, that's what a lot of divorce proceedings are, is a form of a civil war on, a, on an individual level, right? So, also because keep in mind that the proportion of people like us who work in the private sector compared to the proportion of people like them that work in the public sector, meaning those of us that work in the private sector, we're paying the bills for all of this. If you have any government job, even one that's vitally important that we all agree we must have, soldier, fireman, policeman, right? The, the essentials, even if it's one of those, your job is a loss leader financially. It, it doesn't exist because of a market force, but because a government confiscated the funds to make it happen, right? This job exists that I have, that you have, and Aaron has, exists because of a market force. New wealth was created to provide these jobs. And wealth, that wealth then has to be returned and earned in order for them to continue, right? Right. That's not the way the public sector works. And so you're just going to let all the people that are actually paying the bills, just going to let them all walk away? Something like 75% of all the new jobs in America come from small businesses. So even though they control the boardrooms and a lot of major corporations, a lot of those small businesses, man, are salt of the earth kind of Americans. Not in on this stuff. Just going to let all that money walk out the door? Mm, I don't think so. So that's why I think, in, in my view, national divorce is probably synonymous with an actual civil war. Uh, and unfortunately... In all of human history, there has never been a peaceable transfer of wealth and individual rights and liberty from one subset to another. It's never happened in all of human history, and I don't think it will. It would happen here either. Next up is Tiedman Jonathan, who says, can you explain the moral theological basis for capitalism? Tired of hearing the self-righteous left call capitalism evil. You're welcome. 45? You're welcome. Okay. Maybe we should have let off with this one. But um, the idea that the worker is worth his hire, the worker is worth his wage, that um, the Lord, when, when the master returned to settle accounts, it was the one who took what was given to him and buried it out of fear, security, concern that it would be lost, that that one was punished. And those who took what was given to him uh, and, and, and capitalized on it and made it grow, made it worth more than it was when it was originally bestowed, those were the servants that were rewarded. Okay, now, now man, it is 1245. Whole thousand page books have been written about this. This is why okay. I didn't give you the question first because it would have been, <laughs> been the, the whole only show. Question. So I, I mean, I. If we want any other questions between now and Thursday, uh, or any other topics, I have to give you a somewhat abbreviated perspective on this. And and we we have done theology Thursdays on this numerous times. Maybe it's time to do another one. We haven't done it in a while. Okay, but 
that's where the notion comes from. Uh, it was practically applied here. It's often attributed to men like Adam Smith, but it, it was actually practically applied here before that by John Winthrop and the and 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 the uh, the pilgrims who the first two the first winter they were here, they read out of Acts two that um, uh, they shared everything in common. And so when they arrived here, that's how they originally did things. And half of them died uh, that first winter. Uh, sickness, disease, starvation. The younger men did not want to work for the older men and were not happy that their wives were gone out of the homes tending to other people's sick. Um, they, you know, the, the Puritans there forgot the doctrine of total depravity. They thought people would just work out of altruism and they will not. They won't. Not all the time. Not all the time. Yeah. I mean, as a basic no, no, default that's setting. Point. That's yes. what I meant. Yeah. Yes. As a basic default setting, yes. they won't. If, if they did, then why did... Again, the Bible only has to command you to do the things you won't instinctively do. Why does Paul say, whoever shall not work shall not eat? Because it's not instinctive for us to want to actually work rather than take. That's not instinctive for us as a species. Okay? So, the next year... They initiated a system where they, they, they it was modified. They didn't like go full on, you know, uh, Milton Friedman, okay? But the next year it was modified where each individual family, like what was done with the 12 tribes of Israel, certain tribes are larger than others. So they were given more land than others when they went into the promised land. Same thing was done with, that, with certain families that were larger, clans that were larger were given more land. And then after that, the rest of the land was dispersed on the basis of your productivity. Why? Because it, what's, what's it also say there? Whoever has been given a little and does poorly with it will have even that taken away from them. And whoever has been given a lot and does great with it will be given even more than that. And so based on your yield, the next year determined what, how much more land you received. The crop doubled in one year and what became known as Plymouth Rock and the founding of America essentially dawned at this point in time. You have to recognize human nature for what it is, not what you want it to be. Human nature is not altruistic. It is fallen. It is sinful. It is depraved. We can debate whether it's totally depraved or not. We cannot, though, debate that it is depraved. The, the, the degree, the distinct, uh, distinction by which we go to to determine that is debatable. And there have been many women of great conscience throughout Christendom that have had different opinions on that. And I will not sit here and argue with 2,000 years of people who are all smarter than me. But none of them disagreed that on some level, human nature was depraved. That's, a, that's my basic introductory answer. Cool. Uh, let's do maybe one more. This is from Ruth Peterson, who asks, what do you say to people who argue that Sweden isn't doing so well? They lie. I don't know what to tell you. We just ran through all these numbers last week. The case numbers, the death numbers, what the trend line has been. And now you're starting to see, I've seen this the last few days on my Twitter feed, some honest lefties are like, hey, I'm just looking at the numbers, man. And the numbers were bad a month ago. They they weren't as good, but they weren't bad even a month ago. But fine, okay. But now they're saying that their numbers have just noticeably evaporated, dropped off the face of the earth. So you're, they just want to believe a lie. I don't know what else to say. I mean that. I mean the death trend line, all of those things. We just ran all uh, down all those things late last week. It's just a gaslighting lie. That's all that it is. It's a gaslighting lie. 
Uh, one more. Well, last one. Uh, Tiny Johnny says, as the society falls, what can be done to encourage Christians to keep having families despite the prospect they'll raise kids in a post-Christian worldview world? I think that that's the model that occurs biblically. God says to his people when they were in a direct theocracy and in, in direct uh, imposed captivity, go get married, have children, farm your crops. The first commandment God gives humanity. Go forth, subdue the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. That's never a negotiation for the believer. That's that's part of our part of our mandate. Um is is, is to take part in the greatest singular gift other than salvation God gives his creation. The ability for us to perpetuate ourselves and to get, and through the process of raising those children, get a very microscopic empathy for what it's like to be him as he cultivates and raises us as a species, his creation to maturity. Any final thoughts? Todd? Yeah, if you want to know what it's like to be uh, created in his image and likeness, you got to create. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Not to mention, man, the world's bleak enough. Why deny it any more adorable laughter? Why, Why deny it any more of that precious innocence? Why deny it any more of that gleam in the eye on Christmas morning or, or, or when, when we sing happy birthday? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you must, listen, you must replicate the good. You, you have to. It, it, it's a generational thing. It's like wandering 40 years in the desert. But that 40 years does end and a new generation comes. Is it going to be light or darkness? Yeah, and the Neils and Karens of the world are having like, I don't know, one or two kids a pop. So if on the flip side, if you can have six or seven or 80, you know what? The math kind of adds up there that you're going to have a lot better chance of taking your culture back if you outnumber those who, uh, you know, have one or two at a time. Indeed. It's not my place to negotiate other people's family planning. We did not intend to stop at three, but the third one almost killed her and we didn't have a choice. It was literally a life or death situation, but... We're going to stick around and do some overtime for uh, all of our subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. For the rest of you, have a great rest of your Monday. Pray that Anthony Fauci insults Donald Trump on Twitter and John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.